0: Hello, and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley, and I want to first thank you so much for listening to this episode. Later on in the broadcast, we'll have part two of our conversation with hip-hop legend Chuck D. But first, it appears to be a good stretch of late for Joe Biden. A good stretch, not a great stretch. He's addressed the nation for the first time earlier this week and set the tone and set some markers, more importantly, First of all, regarding coronavirus, he was also able to point to the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, which he signed into law. More on that in a minute. A few episodes ago, I said I believe Biden's first orders of business as president should be dealing with the pandemic and relief for hardworking Americans. Check and check. With the former, he promised all Americans would be eligible for the vaccine by May 1st. He also said the country is on track to return to more or less normal life by the 4th of July. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. First of all, um, getting back to normal life by the 4th of July is going to be a very, very heavy lift. First of all, it means that by May 1st, everybody in America is going to be vaccinated or everybody who will be eligible will have the opportunity to be vaccinated because we all know there are some people who will not do it, who will turn it down. So very prominent people. A couple of people I'm surprised at because I know them and they have flatly turned down the vaccine. That's their right. I can't tell them to do it. If they don't want to do it, fine. I got my vaccination, my first jab, and hopefully I'll be getting another one fairly soon. Now, with, uh, while the current trend of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths are all declining, a rogue variant, the consequences of rule rac- rule relaxations in states like Texas, or another factor we're not even thinking about right now, could set that timeline back. Nor should anyone think these benchmarks can be reached with ease. It's going to take work. It's gonna take hard work. I found something very interesting the other day. A friend of mine posted on Facebook that in New York at the Javits Center, where they're doing large numbers of vaccinations, they were looking for data entry clerks, desperately looking for data entry clerks, and they were willing to pay $27 an hour for these data entry clerks. That's a a good salary. Now, it's part-time work, And there's no guarantee how long people would be in those positions. But it's interesting that they are out heavily recruiting to get this work done. And that's what it's going to take. Now, there are some other issues that need to be dealt with here. Um, When it comes to the stimulus, for example, there are several political factors that need to be taken into consideration. First, the bill passed Congress with no Republican support whatsoever. The Democrats stood firm this time because I think the Democrats understood that this $1,400 that uh, was going to be given to Americans as part of the stimulus was extremely popular. Now, maybe Republicans don't think so. They'll have a day of reckoning next year. Many of them will anyway. But Democrats in the House and Senate held fast. But as the near-tandem nomination showed, Biden cannot take his own party's support as a given. And he's got a looming problem that's coming up at the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, I had a friend tell me the other day, or say to me the other day, I do not understand why the blanket is that Republicans can stand firm on virtually everything and the democrats cannot now that first of all that's not entirely true when it came to trump's impeachment there were a number of republicans not a huge number but a number of republicans who jumped ship but when it comes to certain types of bills like this stimulus they seem to have followed their leadership and decided not to vote for it they should pay politically i'm not sure they in fact will Now, with the pandemic front and center and the stimulus front and center, you might ask yourself, what was occupying the Republicans' time when they weren't actively opposing the stimulus? They couldn't obviously oppose uh, vaccines for people. Uh, They could, like Greg Abbott in Texas and a couple of other places, relax rules that might have the risk of expanding the virus if there's another variant or some other unknown factor takes place. However, what were the Republicans focused on? If you're to believe the media, and maybe some people don't. But, and I, <laughs> I almost have to laugh as I say this, the Republicans were focused on Dr. Seuss, Mr. Potato Head, and Pepe Le Pew. That's right, Dr. Seuss, Mr. Potato Head, and Pepe Le Pew. You are kidding, right? Unfortunately, I'm not. It's not just Congress. It's the right-wing ecosystem. You know, the media that so many right-wing people listen to. They have elevated cartoon characters to the level of public discourse and saying, essentially, Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head and the rest of these things, this is part of the cancel culture. Whatever. I'm not sure that many people are focused on it, but you never know. Now, this is about putting that cancel culture meme back into the heads and minds of Donald Trump's base. It's quick, it's easy, and not that many people even know what cancel culture means. Yet there it is again. In fact, And I find this really ironic. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo used cancel culture to define lawmakers who are calling on him to resign, and there are a large number of them, after women have come forward accusing him of improper behavior. Yet cancel culture is the least of Joe Biden's problems. There is a crisis looming at the nation's southern border that will take all the president's skill to deal with and resolve. Since the end of Donald Trump's grotesque border policies, thousands of immigrants, migrants I should say, including a number of unaccompanied children have been trying to get into the United States. It's not only taxing facilities at the border, it's also making Biden's effort to create a more humane immigration system that much more difficult. Now, we ought to say that he said right off the top to people that were trying to come over the border, don't come because there could be, and it's turned out to be true, uh, the facilities at the border could end up getting swamped. And that's precisely what happened. Now, it's given conservatives, on the other hand, more ammunition to push for harsher uh, policies. You know, the old, you're for open borders thing. Now, I've never heard a Democrat, uh, certainly not a Democratic elected official, Say they were for open borders. But, you know, in, in conservative America, it really doesn't matter. They grab on to a word or a meme or a phrase like cancel culture or open borders and they hold on to it for dear life, even if it doesn't mean anything. More practically, large numbers of people in refugee camps could create serious COVID problems. I know Biden wants to do the right thing, but the question is, what is the right thing? If more people, especially children, end up getting detained, Biden will be attacked from the left. He is, I believe, trying to undo the ugliness that was his predecessor's immigration policy. Should his administration have anticipated the rush to the border? Maybe. But Joe Biden needs to put the best minds around him to find a just, humane solution to that crisis. His other challenge, is coming into sharp focus with the one-year anniversary of the killing of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. For those of you who don't remember, she was a 26-year-old black woman shot dead by police during a raid at her home. The cops were executing what's called a no-knock warrant, meaning they don't have to identify themselves. Breonna's boyfriend, thinking the cops were intruders, shot one of them. Kenneth Walker was initially charged with attempted murder, but that charge was dropped. All three of the cops who participated in that botched raid were fired, but none were charged with killing Breonna Taylor. In fact, only one cop faced a charge in the case for shooting into a neighbor's home. Here's the problem for the president. When Joe Biden ran, he pledged to seek justice for Breonna Taylor. For Black folks in Louisville, Kentucky, that has not happened yet. And and matter of fact, it wasn't just Black folks. I think a lot of people thought that that justice has proved elusive. They want officers criminally charged. Suffice to say, despite the slow pace of an ongoing FBI investigation, her family wants to see faster progress. And that is only what they deserve. What too often happens in these situations is that the feds take their time. And by the time they uh, render the result of their investigation, the original outrage has ebbed. It's up to Joe Biden to flip the script and make good on his campaign promise and find justice for this young lady. It would seem that Vice President Harris, a former prosecutor, could be of some help in that regard. Up next, Megan, Harry, Oprah, and the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the media. This is The Intersection. Hi, this is Danny Goldberg and you
1: are listening to The Intersection with Mark Riley.
0: Welcome back to The Intersection. Coming up, part two of my conversation with Chuck D. But first, we've had a little while to digest the bombshell interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Oprah Winfrey. Charges of racism within the royal family, that Meghan was feeling suicidal but got no help from within the palace, and that the substance of the interview constituted a, quote, crisis for the royal family. My initial reaction was, and I hate to say this, I know a lot of people feel very passionately about it, but my initial reaction was like, what's the big deal? Buckingham Palace should never be confused with Camelot. Never. On the one hand, Meghan Markle should have known what she was getting into. At least some people say so. Others, even some who might be sympathetic to her, argue that people who make millions of dollars should hardly be the objects of pity especially in the middle of a global pandemic. Yet it's way too simple to divide public opinion on this between royalists and meganists, and that doesn't even include Prince Harry. Better, perhaps, to step back and follow the money in all this. And I mean, follow the money. Oprah Winfrey's production company, Harpo, got $7 million for the interview. Seems like a lot of money, right? $7 bucks is good money. It's not that big a deal to Oprah. Hate to say it, but seven million bucks is pocket change to someone who's worth an estimated $2.7 billion. That's billion with a B. I saw a story the other day that said she uh, got some stock in the Discovery Channel when she sold, uh, own her network to the Discovery Channel at the time she bought in, or at the time she was sold the stock, uh, or was given the stock, actually, when, when uh, she turned over, it was a transaction, uh, it was worth about $36 million. It is now currently worth $65 million and heading in an upward trajectory. That's the kind of money that Oprah deals with. So $7 bucks is not... You know a princely it's a princely sum for most people but it's not that princely a sum the other thing that people need to be clear about is that at first people were screaming and hollering certainly in england about how much megan and harry were making until people woke up and realized they were not paid for this particular interview now where the money matters is to media, both in the UK and the US. And I I can't emphasize this enough because I think people end up sleeping it sometimes and not paying attention. So I'm going to say this again. I've said it before. Each news cycle that's taken up with the saga of Meghan and Harry is money in the bank to tabloid newspapers, TV networks, and other media on both sides of the pond. In the U.S. and in the U.K. That would imply that they have a financial interest in dragging the fallout from this interview as far as they can, as far as they can. This is, in its own way, remarkably similar to media coverage of Donald Trump. Now, I I hate to say this to people because sometimes, what are you talking about Donald Trump? Let me explain something to you. Whether you were for Trump or against Trump, Covering his every tweet, no matter how trivial, became the road to profitability for newspapers, whether they supported him or not. And so it is here. You even had the specter of Piers Morgan leaving ITV in a fit of pique around this same story. But listen, shed no tears for Piers. The self-made man in love with his creator will find work soon enough. But that's another issue for another day. How about looking at the differing perspectives between the U.S. and British publics? i really hate to say this, but a lot of Americans are less than fascinated with the British monarchy. Now, there are some Americans who, you know, dote on their every word, follow the royal columnists or whoever they are at the different tabloid papers in the UK. But first of all, and this is a this is something that's like so fundamental i'm surprised people don't focus on it just a little bit closer okay uh a lot of americans think that the big reason why the u.s split off from britain in the first place was the whole royalist monarchist setup that existed back then in 1776 and i'm not sure that a lot of british people Understand that a lot of Americans just they don't understand the royal family. They don't understand what the entire fuss is about. Uh, I have some of my more cynical American friends that say that they you know they're just a bunch of ribbon cutters, <laughs> which is really shortchanging them. But from an American perspective, they don't understand why there is a royal family in the first place. And once they begin to look at their net worth, the royal family, people on both sides of the pond question whether they're worth it. Now, it's certainly not for me to say, but there's a devotion to all things royal on the part of the monarchists that is at times baffling, at least to me. It's through these multiple lenses that Harry and Meghan's interview ought to be seen. What will be the long-term repercussions? I don't know. Will there be long-term repercussions? I'm not so sure. But it is certainly, no matter what happens, it's not going to be the end of the British monarchy. Let's see where all these people are five years from now. How about we do that? It going to be interesting. Don't go away. We'll be back with part two of my interview with Public Enemy founder Chuck D. This is The Intersection
1: hey what's up this is chuck d public enemy number one and you are listening to the intersection with my hero mark riley
0: welcome back to the intersection i'm mark riley from its humble beginnings on playgrounds in the bronx and queens Hip-hop has, over the decades, become a mature genre of the American songbook. Few people have done more to make that happen than my guest, the founder of Public Enemy, Chuck D. Chuck hosts what I consider to be one of the finest radio broadcasts in America, and you don't stop radio. In this segment of our three-part interview, we talk about the changing face of activism, hip-hop, and a whole lot more. One of the things, Chuck, that's troubled me over the last couple of years actually, has been uh, some people's ability to bend reality. Uh, We see it time and time again uh, in Congress, where Republicans will tell you that, you know, Donald Trump uh, won the election, it was stolen from him, that sort of thing. And it seemed like it culminated on January 6th, when a group of insurrectionists stormed the Capitol. And I'm wondering, uh, Because many people in Congress as they've held hearings after that siege, uh, have tried to equate what those people did with Black Lives Matter protests across the country uh, where there may have been some property damage uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I know it's a wrong comparison. I wanna get your sense of why it's being compared.
1: Ignorance, ill-informed, misinformed people and wait to the deep fake, Mark. <laughs> they have deep fakes out there that tell you they, they can pr- propose and put an image of somebody saying something when they really didn't say it. Um, man, beware of the other people who are, who are Pied pipered. you know, just like mm. the Pied Piper Hamlin had the rats in the river or whatever. Beware of the people who are just gonna Pied Piper what they see. I think we're in a time right now where new generations listen a little bit too much with their eyes. Mm -hmm. And now with all the things here, when you're dealing with screenology, once again, you can make things appear and then disappear. You can make words appear and disappear. You can manipulate words. And when you're reading the words and you're hearing the words, and now when you're seeing the words and that they did the three card money on you, that will lead a lot of the masses into becoming them asses. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the that's the day the danger is is uh, is uh, is believing and hearing things with your eyes because mm-hmm. people are not really listening. Listening is something that we had to be able to do in our generation, and you had to read, and but more importantly, the reading. You had to comprehend. Yeah. So you had to think and, critically. I mean, you had
0: to be taught how to think critically.
1: Right. You had to get through it too. And you, yeah. and it was it was not easy. So so sometimes we're making a society have things that are easy, then then comes the side effects. So mm-hmm. cause when things are too easy, then too many side effects can happen, things can slip into the end of the narrative. And um, I think that's the danger when when you saw an insurrection. You know, it's stirred up in people's heads of what they thought the truth was and and base the truth on opinion as opposed to fact. And all you got to do is get a bunch of talking heads to talk it and, and list it as truth and come up with all kinds of shiny things that look like truth. Mm-hmm. And you'll get very few challenges uh, from people that feel that that's their narrative.
0: Sure. There are a lot of people across this country. You know many of them. I know many of them. Uh, I hope I had spoken to them and for them over the years. And they have no interest in politics whatsoever. Uh, They see politics as a a game played by the rich and powerful in a a situation where it's never going to change anything in their lives. Um, Are we still at that point? Or do you see some hope that uh, people, I mean, there were record turnouts uh, uh, for this last presidential election, record turnouts, but yet still there were districts in the Bronx, districts in Brooklyn, uh, where there were large numbers of people that stayed home. Do you think that they can or should get active in politics and specifically party politics?
1: Well, that's where you live. I ask people how long you want to stay funky. <laughs> I mean, I I I would break things down to you know if you get, if you're gonna be a rapper, break things down to words and make words count. So people would say, well, what do you think think about adults voting in the United States of America? I said, well, that's where you are at, and that's what that system is 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 designed around. And so voting is as important as washing your ass in the morning. You don't have to wash, Mark. No, it's true. But you can't go around saying that, that something stinks and, and and it's really bad and funky when it could be you. So how long are you gonna say how long are you gonna stay funky? It's, some, it's it's essential as washing. How much washing do you wanna do? You ain't got to throw perfume on and fragrances and, and and cologne if you don't want to. But I'm just saying you gotta wash if you yeah. want things to be kind of clear clean and clear cut around you, but you don't have have a a knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of it, you have to be proactive in the spots in which you live. Even knowing like if you send your kids to a school, don't know the school board, what are you doing? Good point. If you don't, if 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 you if if you hit a pothole in your street, mess up your car, you're gonna go to the state farm commercial or you're gonna go and say, y'all gotta fix these streets. What's up? Yeah. I mean, this is it's 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 um it's what we used to call the big boy pants. It's like, you know, it's gotta be a it gotta be a grown person in the room. You're doing everything else. You got you got your drink on, you're gonna get your sex on. So at the same time, you gotta get your local politic on somehow. At least you gotta know something. <laughs> you know, you wanna know you wanna know about the whoop whoop and the party party, and that's it. I'm like, so something gotta be at the door to protect that.
0: Good point. You supported Bernie Sanders for president, Chuck. You uh, actually—I uh, don't know if, if that concert ever took place, but you were ready to do a concert for Bernie Sanders.
1: Um, yeah, I did. I did. Matter of fact, last year at this time, March first, twenty—what was it, twenty twenty? Yeah. right before the pandemic struck. And I always thought the Green Party was a good alternative, but even they realized that in this case of of uh, fascism being on the inherent edges that it was no time to play no game. It wasn't no time to play games. The world would not bode well with the four years of BS that we just experienced. So by whatever means necessary, it was time to get some kind of clarity for this dude to be gone. And I'm talking about 45.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, there were people who felt that Bernie really was not well served by the Democratic Party in 2016. When he was running against Hillary Clinton, there were people who thought uh, that the party put their thumb on the scales uh, and it wasn't in Bernie's favor. What did you think about this time around? Uh, what, was it more fair to him? And what do you think of Joe Biden?
1: Well, um, all right. Politically speaking, I thought Democrats, you know, they were arrogant and they did a big faux pas in 2016. I think. Um, People in the United States, I don't think they want a monarchy. And I just think with the whole Clinton thing, people smelt like it was like, OK, here we go. Bush, Clinton. like I think back people were forth. just like, yo, yeah, back and forth. It was like this is an elite monarchy. And I think the backlash that Hillary had was not the fact they didn't look at her as a woman. They kind of looked at her as as somebody out of, you know, Bill's wife who had some influence before, who also showed that when she wasn't going to kind of stump and campaign and wasn't out there in the streets Mm -hmm. hard, and Trump was out there in front of, you know, his goons, like like he was out there. I think that's where they dropped the ball. And the whole thing went on with, with Bernie Sanders and her. it was sloppy. They were sloppy mm-hmm. with the ball, went out of bounds, got intercepted and ran in the other end zone. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what I think happened there. And we got four years of a dude that, that really should have never been in the governing of a country, much less he couldn't govern, govern his own business. But yeah. it was like, you know what, we're not dealing with that. So we're going, all right, we got this dude. So it was a Hail Mary. Yeah. But you when they have Harold Mary's in government you know the, the the ones that suffer the most is black folk poor folk brown folk and they come up with these crazy twisted policies that might trickle for a few but devastate the many and to come up out of it you know after four years of that um I think the democratic party had to realize by all means necessary stop playing games and, and and I felt that uh, Joe Biden. I don't feel that like any president has the energy over seventy five years old. But I think this this dude, as a president, just realized that I got eighty year old energy, which is none. <laughs> but I think the best decision he ever could have made was was Kamala Harris. Yeah, I mean, here's here's a woman. Black woman. I don't care. We get up. Cats be making up all kinds of stuff out there, like, oh, well, yeah, but she claims to be right. I'm like, what the hell we hear, hear about the whatever somebody claimed to be? In the world that we live in today, she clearly is a black woman. For sure. All right. <laughs> <No> <laughs> clearly. Well, I don't care what she throw on it. I don't care what you throw on it. She a black woman and she's the vice president of the United States. I think there's something with that energy that could kind of like be some sort of and you least in that one country out of the 216 of the United States is one country influential country but you know a country nonetheless not a not one not two countries one country right mm-hmm. so out of that country what comes out of the 2020 2020 and 21 stop work stop looking for a messiah that's gonna do the work that you got to do in your own bubble I think it's something that if everybody got you adult it's time for you to work up or demand things to happen and don't think that's all of a sudden going to happen and somebody's going to just bless bless us with changes. <laughs> that's, just like, that's, a, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. And only somebody who don't know as much as they should be knowing is going to come up and say something like that. So I, that's, that's what I feel on that mark.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I remember a conversation we had in Denver, Colorado in 2008 mm-hmm. when Barack Obama was uh, uh, formally nominated uh, to run for the Democratic Party. And you said no. exactly the same thing to me. You said, don't think, Black people, that Barack Obama is a messiah, because he's not, and he's not going to be able to do a lot of the things that you think he's going to be able to do. And I was,
1: I was even more, I was even more uh, direct when I said, let's not think he's Black Jesus, <laughs> or Jesus. That's redundant, right? Don't think he's Jesus, he gonna come with all kinds of blessings and answers and stuff like that. I think the thing that made me really feel President Obama at that particular time in Denver, when he just said, it ain't about me. He clearly said it, yo, it ain't about me. Which means I ain't gonna be about you then. I better figure out how much time I got. You know, this is what I, this is what I have, Mark. This was President Obama's campaign. Mm-hmm. And then when he turned it president, this is what I had with me. <laughs> as, as, as much as I move around the world, I said, well, with this president's policy, I could kind of get this done, that done, this done. Yeah. Maybe get a dual citizenship, have work on my relations in different countries and stuff like that. Because I know the diplomatic waters, you know, will at least be like understandable, clear, you know. I could, I, you know, I deal with many countries. That's how I make my living Mm -hmm. last year. And I'm not saying the pandemic was the only thing, but I, I felt cornered, blockaded, truncated. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What the, what's the world looking like? You know, it's like now they got all kinds of blockades on your travel. I can't move left, right, North, South, East, West, different countries. You know, I'm, being scrutinized if I go over here, you know. So um, and 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 the, I would say the. The uh, the spin over effect from all that is still going to be around for I guess this first presidential term, the damn the damages of the world and how a black person is going to be able to move around it. You really
0: felt like a target, did you? Like you had a target nah. on your
1: back. No, no, I didn't feel like I I had a target. I felt, of course, we always have targets. Yeah. We always had a target on on us. The pandemic, for example, if I go around in 2019 and I decide to wear a mask like an Asian person would do in certain parts of Asia, just to, you know, not only protect themselves, but to try not to disrespect others with their cold or whatever. If I wore one of those, wore a hoodie and wore shades and walked to the airport, I'd be on the terrorist list. Like, yo, somebody's gonna come in the 7-Eleven and rob black man, <laughs> mask, hoodie, you know what I'm saying? Shades, yeah. ooh, yeah. oh my God, you know? So, uh, you, know, th- you know, those things have changed a little bit. You know, I could, yeah. I could go with my mask, I could go with my my hoodie and wear some shades and 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 not be offensive to somebody just saying oh my god somebody's gonna rob me
0: you can hear part three of my conversation with chuck d in another podcast episode thanks so much for listening to this episode the executive producer of the intersection is Ms. kim jack riley music is by eric lund until we meet again please stay well